not have noticed, I don't know. I wasn't here last Sunday. Um, I was in Nicaragua, as I am a couple times every year. I was talking to Lance this morning, and I realized that some of you are fairly uh, new here at PVC and may not know about our work in Nicaragua. Uh, Vineyard Missions, the way Vineyard does missions is we plant churches. That's, that's, we believe that when you put a church in a community, there's an ongoing presence and there's a sustainability to ministry. So a lot of missions organizations will come in and they, you know, do whatever they do, build a building or, or, or help with clean water or something, and then they leave. And so then that project is done, but then that's it. There's nothing left behind that. What we do is plant churches because we believe that now there's an ongoing presence of the gospel in that community. So Vineyard Missions works to plant churches around the world. We're currently in over 60 countries. You guys may not know we have over 2,500 vineyard churches in 60 countries around the world. And so I lead a partnership. Uh, we, we, we're, we organize missions in partnerships, which is a group of U.S. churches that work together in a given location. So I lead the partnership for Nicaragua. We have 10 vineyard churches in the United States that work together to plant churches in Nicaragua. And we now have nine churches there in Nicaragua. Uh, nine Vineyard Churches, and it's super, super exciting. On this particular trip, every January, we do a training event for uh, those churches. So we, and, and it really is very practical stuff. We do, we, I always ask, what do you guys want? What do you need? Um, and sometimes it's stuff like running children's ministry, youth ministry. This time, uh, Steve Fish was with me, and Steve talked about small groups and the importance and value of small groups and how to lead a small group. I taught on Vineyard Values and on spiritual gifts, uh, Adam and Leslie Babcock from Hope Vineyard in Hillsboro, and some of you guys know David and Sheree Brock from Hope Vineyard as well. They were with us. Adam did some teaching on, on really evangelism, sharing your faith, and it was a great time. We had about 100 people from all nine vineyard churches there. Uh, it was a very, very rich, rich experience. Um, I would encourage you guys, uh, if you have, I, I'd love to talk to you more. I can't take the time to talk to all of us this morning in depth about our work there. But it's something that's very, very near and dear to my heart. Many of you have been with me in the past. I would encourage you to pray about going. Uh, this coming July, we're going to do a trip. And uh, every two years, we do a national conference in Nicaragua, which means all the vineyard churches come together for about four days, uh, just worship, fellowship, teaching, ministry. So this summer, that happens. Uh, we're going to try to take... Uh, 20 to 25 people from our U.S. partner churches over for the conference. Uh, some of you are familiar with Robbie Dawkins, who's a speaker and author in the Vineyard Movement. Robbie's going to go with us and uh, minister at the conference. Uh, it's the 18th to the 28th of July are the dates. Um, and I was there. There's some flexibility in that. If if you have a if it's difficult for you to be gone for 10 days, you, we could probably arrange a shorter trip for you. Um, uh, the cost is right around $1,600 per person, but it will be money well spent. I, I guarantee it will be life-changing. So think about it, pray about it, and, and uh, if the Lord leads you, you know, give me a buzz or drop me an email. We'll have coffee, and I'll talk to you more about what we're going to do and see if you could go with us. So uh, that's that. This morning, uh, though, we're going to continue on our series, Unwrapped, Spiritual Gifts in the 21st Century. Uh, really trying to answer the question in this series, um, do the gifts of the Holy Spirit, and the, the gifts that they pl they played a very very central role in the uh, life and ministry of Jesus. As you see Jesus ministering, 
in his time on earth here. Uh, the gifts of the Spirit were very central in what he did, and they were also very vital, very important in the development of the early church in the uh, you know, decades following Jesus. So the question is, do those gifts uh, that were so important then have value and importance and meaning for the church today, some 2,000 years later? That's the question. There are pastors and scholars uh, that would say no. They're no longer uh, valid or, or necessarily really needed in the church today. That was for then, and we don't need them now. There are other pastors, ministers, leaders in the church today who would answer that question and say, uh, yes, we think they are, but we're not really sure. We're not sure how they work or what place they play or even really why we would want them, but we think that they belong. Um, I would say... And, and I say this along with uh, my vineyard colleagues as well as many, many, many other uh, churches and people and leaders worldwide, I would say yes. Yes, not only are those gifts valid and needed today, I believe they are as vital as necessary, and I would even say maybe more vital and more necessary today than they were then. Um, so in this series, we're talking about uh, looking at how those gifts function. They were written uh, in the first century. Uh, now we're in the 21st century. Uh, they were written in an, with an Eastern sort of mystical mindset and worldview. We live today in a very rational Western worldview. Uh, we live in what many people are calling a postmodern and some people are calling a post-Christian culture. So do the gifts of the Spirit work and how do they work and what do they mean? That's what we're talking about. This morning, I think, are all of these messages online? Not yet. <laughs> all of these messages will be online. If you haven't heard them and haven't been here, I would encourage you to go back. But this morning, I want, our title is For the Common Good. Uh, and, I, and I want to uh, look at two passages of Scripture this morning, both in 1 Corinthians 12. 1 Corinthians 12 is our anchor text for this series, or really 12 through 14 uh, we are looking at other texts, but all the others we look at will uh, be as they relate to the section in 1 Corinthians 12 through 14. So this morning I'm going to look at 12, chapter 12, verse 7, and then the latter half of the chapter is really an extended metaphor. Paul, in the last half of the chapter, uh, makes a comparison between the body of Christ and how the gifts work in the body of Christ today with uh, the actual physical human body. So we'll look at that. Let's, let's go ahead and pray real quick, and then we'll, we'll get into it. Uh, dear Lord Jesus, would you open our hearts this morning to receive from you, to hear your word, to incorporate your word into our lives in such a way that it makes an impact. It's transformational. It's not just informational, but it's transformational in our lives and the lives of those around us. Would you allow us the, uh, the grace uh, to receive and to walk in all that you have for us, Lord. Bless your word. Uh, in your name we pray. Amen. So, 1 Corinthians 12, 7. Now to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. Uh, in my previous message, which was two weeks ago, um, we looked at this verse and focused on two things. Um, the first thing was that uh, the the manifestation or the gifts of the Spirit are given to each one. And that gifts are for everyone. 
The gifts of the Spirit are for everybody. They're not for just some. They're not for a select few, not for the spiritually elite, not for uh, any particular group at all except this group, uh, everyone. The gifts are for everybody. Uh, God is fairly non-discriminant in who he chooses to give gifts to. And he is non-discriminant despite some of my objections. Um, I have voiced my opinion on who I think should get gifts and who shouldn't. And thus far, God has not really taken my advice to heart. Someday maybe he will, but I'm not going to hold my breath. The, um, the second thing we talked about in that verse is that the word manifestation. And really, manifestation of the Spirit, I mentioned, is probably a little bit better a definition than gifts of the Spirit. We'll talk about that in a minute. I talked to, I taught on spiritual gifts in Nicaragua as well, and my two messages are different, but they overlap. Did we talk about Russ Spittler's definition, the dancing hand of God in here? Does anybody remember that? No? You're shaking your heads. No? Okay. Uh, Spittler was one of John Wimber's mentors at Fuller, and uh, he defined the manifestation of the Spirit. Manifestation is really a, based in a Latin word that has uh, two root words, meaning dancing hand. And the dancing hand of God really is that God moves from place to place, person to person, giving gifts. He just moves around, uh, that it's not static. It's not, it, it's not uh, frozen or locked. It's free and, and moving. Also, that, that word given there is present, which means present tense. It, it, it really would be better translated God is, gives and keeps on giving. He's giving, 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 giving that the... the outpouring of the Spirit, the giving of the gifts of the Spirit is an ongoing reality. It happens all the time uh, in different places in different ways. And so those are the things we talked about before. Um, this morning, I want to focus on the last little clause there, last little phrase in that, uh, in that verse, that they are given for the common good. To each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. Uh, common, the common good is the reason the gifts are given, okay? Now, common is a common word, right? We get that. has really two similar but slightly different meanings. Uh, one, in one sense, common means just uh, sort of normal or average, right? It's commonplace. It's, it's just kind of a normal thing. Uh, but in another sense, common means universal or for everyone. And that, and that would be more like, you know, if somebody says, well, that's common knowledge, what they mean is everybody knows that. Or maybe even a better illustration would be you talk about a common space. So common space, whether that's in a, a condo complex or a green belt or something, common space means that's open to everybody. It's not restricted. Anybody can use that. that that's really the definition that Paul is getting at here. He's saying that the gifts of the Spirit are for the common good. They're for the good of all. The gifts of the Spirit are given for the benefit of everyone. They're not just for some people. Uh, they're for the whole body of Christ. Real quickly, uh, again in my last message, a couple things uh, that I shared. Gifts of, and the reason I said manifestation of the Spirit might be a better definition than gifts of the Spirit is that that picture, that illustration of a gift breaks down at a given point, and the point it breaks down at is this. With any other kind of gift, a birthday gift, an anniversary gift, a wedding present, if I give you a gift, if I say, hey, Stephen, here's a gift, I'm giving you this gift, that's Stephen's gift, it's his. He owns it, he has it, he possesses it, he can do whatever he wants with it, 
okay? But the gifts of the Spirit are given to be used. And if they're not used, then they're, they're not really functional. They're not practical. They're not, they don't do anything. So an example of that would be, let's just say, God gives me a gift. He gives me a gift of a word of knowledge. And the word of knowledge God gives me is, let's say, someone here has a toothache today. If I keep that gift, if I hold on to it, it's, it, it doesn't mean anything. It has no purpose. It has no value. And it's really, it ceases to be a gift at a given point. It's just some little bit of information stored in my mind uh, that I'll probably forget in an hour. But if I give that gift, if I use that gift, then it has value and importance. It's only meaningful if I, if I speak it, if I give it. So that's one point about the gifts of the Spirit that we brought up. The second is this, and here's really what Paul is communicating today at a deeper level, is that when the gifts are used appropriately, they don't just benefit one or two people. They really do benefit everyone. So let's use that same illustration again. God gives me that word of knowledge about a toothache. And I, and I say, hey, you know, I think the Lord's telling me that somebody here has a toothache. And then somebody says, hey, that's me. I have a toothache. And then what would we do next? We'd probably say, hey, two or three of you guys go over and pray for that person uh, and ask God to heal that toothache. He shared that for a reason so that we would pray. So two or three people would go pray. And let's say that person gets healed. Now, who benefits from that? Well, I think I benefit from it because... Hey, I heard from God. I was right. Yay. I think the person that got healed benefits from it because, well, they don't have a toothache anymore. I think the people that prayed benefit because they say, God used me in a special way today to bring this to another person. I think that person's family benefits because they don't have to put up with him whining anymore about his toothache. Uh, I, I think that the whole body benefits because faith is built, hope is released, joy is released. And so the whole body benefits from the use of the gifts of the Spirit. This is really, really important. Okay, I mean, it seems, duh, right? But I want us to understand, this is really, really important. Remember, the reason that Paul wrote this letter was to bring correction to the Corinthian church. Uh, the Corinthians had been using the gifts in such a way, uh, inappropriately, that they had caused division in the body of Christ. They had created sort of a spiritual elite, sort of the haves and the have-nots. Some people had, and, and in particular, the focus was on the gift of prophecy and the gift of tongues, but there were those that sort of had spiritual gifts, and they were sort of seen as the spiritual elite, and then everybody else was, you know, not so much. Not so much. So if you, if you uh, prophesied or spoke in tongues, you were somebody, and if you didn't, you were somebody else. Now, here's the thing. As we consider the use of the gifts of the Spirit in the church today, I want to say that that is still happening. All too often, the gifts of the Spirit, and especially some of the more visible gifts, the gift of prophecy and the gift of healing in particular, will create in a given setting a kind of a cool inside spiritual elite group, even in the church today. And if you, if you move in those things and you minister in those things, then you're in that group. And if you don't, well, then you can't sit with us. 
And that's just a reality. And, and I, I want to say, I've seen this happen often enough to know that I don't want it to happen here. Look, I, I care too much about unity in the body of Christ. I care too much about every single person in the body of Christ as a person created in the image of God with inestimable value and worth to him to allow a prophecy or a word or anything to bring division to the church. I care too much about that. I love the church. Look, Jesus didn't write a book. Jesus left the church. And he gave that church the keys to his kingdom. And he, he commissioned, he anointed, he empowered the church to carry out his ministry. And, 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 and that, that is too important to allow anything to mess that up. So I just don't want to see that kind of thing happen in our body here. That's why I'm teaching this series. Just as a body, this is verse 12, though one has many parts, but all its many parts form one body, so it is with Christ. For we were all baptized by one spirit so as to form one body, whether Jew or Gentile, slave or free, and we were all given the one spirit to drink. Paul is really now boop, driving home um, his point. Okay, we know that a human body is made up of lots of different parts, right? We know that. We know that from a very young age. Uh, you know, and as we learn more, I, and it's amazing to me in medical science today, we learn how much the different body parts affect other body parts, right? If something's wrong with one part of your body, it shows up somewhere else, right? We understand that. The parts of the human body are connected. They're inseparable. They're dependent upon one another. And some parts can't function without the other parts, right? We get that. So it is with Christ. So it is with Christ. We were all baptized by one spirit so as to form one body. Jew, Greek, slave, free. We were all given one spirit to drink. When, when we are in Christ, we are baptized by one spirit so as to form one body. Do you understand that's the purpose of the spiritual gift? That's the purpose of the spiritual gift. That's the reason, to form one body. No matter what else happens, if that doesn't happen, it don't count for nothing. All the warm fuzzies and Holy Ghost goosebumps in the world mean nothing if we're not connected as one body. Whatever, whatever arbitrary distinctions the world around us may have decided are important, the Spirit of God erases them. This, to me, is where a 21st century application of, of the gifts of the Spirit is very, very important. Look, let's just say to most of us here today and most of us living in the 21st century today, the categories of the distinctions of Jew-Gentile or slave-free uh, probably don't mean a whole lot to us. Anybody? Anybody concerned about those distinctions today? Anybody see political problems, social problems, economic problems based on, on Jew, Gentile, or slave-free? Maybe slave-free in a different context, but not so much. But, but black and white might mean something to us, also a distinction. Um, 
Rich or poor might mean something to us. Republican or Democrat might mean something to us. The tragedy to me is this, that there are a lot of churches today where those things actually exist, those distinctions. There are churches today where women are not shown the same deference and respect as men in the church. There are churches today where, to be quite honest, if you're a Democrat, you're serving Satan, and you might as well go directly to hell. Do not pass go. Do not collect $200. You know, that there, there, there are some very prominent churches in the United States today that a poor person would never take a step of foot inside of. They would feel so out of place that they wouldn't dare walk in there. And look, I'll say this, that no one would say you're not welcome or a poor person can't come here. But from top to bottom, the entire organization would scream it. So it is with Christ. We're baptized by one spirit to form one body. Jew, Greek, slave, free, black, white, male, female, rich, poor, Republican, even Democrat. We were given one spirit to drink. Paul's point here is that we are connected to one another. We are vital to one another. We are dependent upon one another. We cannot exist without one another. I, I, I read this recently. Christian without a local church is like a player without a team, a soldier without an army, a child without a family, a brick without a building. Not only are those distinctions erased by the Spirit of God, but we all are a part. And it's imperative that as a part of the body, we are connected to the body. There really, there is absolutely no biblical precedent for Lone Ranger Christianity. This freelance, epicurean approach, you know, well... I sometimes go over there because I love their worship. They have such good worship. But, you know, I get my teaching online because so-and-so is really good, and I actually really get fed when I listen to that. But sometimes I go over to that comfy, cozy church over there because they don't really challenge me a whole lot, and I don't have to commit and do anything. And besides that, they have cute girls. We are connected. We are joined. We are bonded. Paul is using the human body as an illustration of the church. Does anybody know what happens to a body part if it's disconnected? Yeah, uh, it dies. Interesting thing, I was thinking about this uh, yesterday in my post-Nicaraguan haze. You know, medical science today, we do transplants. You can transplant a body part, right? You can take a heart or a liver or a kidney or an eyeball, and you can take it out of one body and put it in another body, and it lives, right? It'll continue to live and continue to serve. But, but the key to that process is you better be quick, right? You, you have a very limited shelf life. It's not going to last very long. If you leave that body part disconnected for any length of time, it's going to die. Now, I... I, I do not necessarily believe that uh, every church is for every person. Uh, and I do not necessarily believe that once you're in a church that you're there for life. Uh, I will say this, though. That's my tendency. That's the way I live my life. When I was at Anaheim Vineyard, 
I believe that was my church, and I would be there for my entire life. I believe that every day that I was there. And, and my pastor asked me at one point, I was on staff, I'd been on staff for a long time, what's your plan? Where do you want to go from here? What, you know, you're going to plan out your week? I said, no, I'm here. This is it. This is all I ever want to do. I love this church. I'm here. I was, I was all in. And until God made it very, very, very clear to me, and I'm telling you, he made it very clear that I was to come here and plant that church, that was my heart. That was my mindset. And from the moment, from the moment that God made it clear to me that I was to go and plant another church, my heart has always been, my vision has always been that I would, and I declared it, that I would pastor this church for the rest of my life. That I'm committed, that I'm all in here. And that's still my heart today. That's, that's what I believe. And until God makes it very clear to me again, I will be here at this church. Now, that doesn't mean that my role might not change. At some point, I will age. And uh, I also believe wholeheartedly in passing on the ministry to an another generation of people. And there will very likely come a day when I pass the torch on in this church to somebody else. But my intention would be, if God wills and that person allows, that I would still be here. And Wally and I have joked many times about just being the greeters at the door, just two old guys. They'll wheel us out there in our wheelchairs, and we'll welcome everybody and shake their hands, and then we're done for the day. Go home and take our nap. Truth is this, though, I mean, in all honesty, what I'd love to do is I, if I were to pass this church on to young leadership uh, would be to stay on in, in my roles in King's Kindness and Missions because that's something that is so close to my heart and that I love to do. That's what I'd love to do. And I'll tell you this, too. If, if, if that day or when that day comes when I pass this church on, I will be that person's biggest cheerleader. I will, I, I will be all in for them. Now, I say that to say this. Sometimes people need to move on. Sometimes people change churches legitimately. And, and so my word to anyone who changes churches, and I say this wholeheartedly, whether you're leaving this church to go somewhere else or whether you've left another church to come here, I, I say this to you today. You're a body part, and you have a limited shelf life, and you need to connect yourself to another church as quickly as possible because if you don't, you'll die. You've got to be connected. We've got to be connected. Connection to the body of Christ. And look. Oh. I do not buy into this whole, I'm part of the universal church. We're all connected in Jesus. That's just a load of crap. You have got to be connected physically, personally, to a body of Christ. Look. If a body part is connected, it's tangible, it's physical, you can see it. You've got to be connected. Not, it's not spiritual and ethereal and out there, it's real. You've got to have relationship and connection with people where you're in their lives and they're in your lives and you know them and they know you. That's how this thing works. One baptism, one... Can I tell you, that is the, pers that, that is the purpose of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. I didn't say it, Paul did. For we are all baptized by one spirit. Why? So as to form one body. We've got to be connected. Paul continues his metaphor here uh, from two different perspectives. I love that he does. He's so smart. He's so smart. A little cranky at times, but smart. Um, two different perspectives. The first is the perspective of someone 
who might internally, because of their own insecurities, inadequacies, whatever, be feeling a little bit on the outs. And, and he says this, Even so, the body is not made up of one part, but of many. Now, if the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason stop being part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason stop being part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God has placed the parts in the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. If they were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, but one body. Now look, here's what happened there, and, and it's understandable what could happen today. It, it can be fairly easy to see someone who has a visible gift, whether that would be a prophecy or a gift of healing or something like that, to see that and to think to yourself, man, I can't do that, so I must not really be that important. Right? Anybody ever feel that way? You guys lie like, no, we do. It's easy to see, you know, visible things, you know, manifestations of the Spirit and, and, and just say, you know, uh, I can't do that. I don't hear God like that guy hears God. I, I, maybe I, I, this, I just don't belong here. I'll tell you, if you've never thought that, God bless you. I think the enemy works overtime to help us think those things. But here's something I want to point out. I think that can not only be a personal thing, I, could, I think it can be systemic at times. Uh, I think there are churches, or let me just say it this way, in any church where gifts of the Spirit, visible gifts of the Spirit, and or gifted people are highlighted or showcased uh, as being above and beyond others, I'll tell you this, what will happen is ministry will dry up in the lives of everybody else. Okay? I saw this happen in the vineyard uh, back in the late 1980s. I'll share my experience at Anaheim, although it really happened kind of almost movement-wide. But let's just take Anaheim as a microcosm because that's the church I was in at the time. In the mid-1980s, 84, 85, 86, 87, there were literally thousands of people in that church who would pray for the sick on a regular basis. Thousands of people who were comfortable hearing God's voice, receiving a word of knowledge, sharing that word, prophesying, um, all done in the naturally supernatural way that we have been taught. Hey, I, you know, I was, I was praying today and I think God gave me a word for you. I, you know, just maybe if, if this means something, take it. Um, and I think, I, you know, I, I didn't hear John's message last week, but I'm, I'm knowing John. I'm assuming that's kind of the, the approach he gave for you guys. I really, really respect John's ability. That's why I asked him to come, his ability to hear and receive and cultivate that gift and, and present those things in a very um, naturally supernatural way. But in Anaheim, there were thousands of people, literally thousands of people, who would have felt confident enough to, at the end of service, go pray for someone. Lay hands on and pray for them. And, and, and probably hundreds of people who were uh, confident enough and experienced enough where they might be willing to, uh, if they were out 
you know, in, in public, in the grocery store or the laundromat or somewhere, hearing from the Lord to give a word to somebody and say, hey, I, you know, I think God's sharing this with me. I mean, we hear stories like that all the time. So that was the environment mid-80s. And then, and then we were introduced to the Kansas City Prophets. And the Kansas City Prophets were a band of superhuman men of God who we were told their words never fall to the ground. And it was amazing. It was amazing. And what happened is this. Within months, literally, no one was praying for anybody. No one was sharing anything. No one was giving any word to anybody. Now, that wasn't the intention. No one planned for that to happen. But the truth was, what we saw in front of us was so powerful, so amazing, so big, so spectacular, that <coughs> literally everybody felt like, I can't do that, so I'm out. I mean, that's, that was the outcome. Because that's what, we were, that's what was highlighted. That was what was put before us. <coughs> so I hope and I believe in the vineyard that we have learned from our past, that we learn from the mistakes of others, and that we don't allow that to happen again. That we value every gift on every level equally. That, look, I want to say this. If you feel like I don't belong, or I don't, I can't, I don't hear from God, I'm not a part, I don't have those gifts. Look, I would say this to you today, and I'm just going to quote the Apostle Paul. You're right where God put you. You, you are right in the middle of what God wanted you to do. God values and loves every single but God has placed the parts of the body every one of them where exactly where he wants them to be you're so value, valuable you're so important you're so needed so do not allow the enemy to undermine what God's doing in your life and do not compare what God's doing in your life to what God's doing in somebody else's life I think we're supposed to pray for that today at the end of our service in about seven minutes that uh some of us are feeling discouraged and feeling on the outs, and, and I, I just want to pray that God will restore that and reconnect some body parts and get some people back to work that need to be back to work. Really quickly, Paul then inverts his analogy of the body, and he talks about those who may be feeling a little superior or a little high and mighty about their giftedness. And so the, the inversion of what he just said is this. The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. The head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. Once again, let me just say, I didn't make that up. That's the Bible. <laughs> those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And the parts that we think are less honorable we treat with special honor. And the parts that are unpresentable are treated with special modesty. While our presentable parts need no special treatment. But God has put the body together, giving greater honor to the parts that lacked it, so that there should be no division in the body, but that its parts should have equal concern for each other. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. Now you are the body of Christ, and each one of you is a part of it. It's clear to me here any part, any gift, any person that we might see or feel or think is weaker is actually, as Paul says, indispensable, absolutely necessary. 
We cannot function without those parts. We will not be a healthy body without them. As much as gifts like prophecy and healing are visible and at times might appear more necessary in our midst, without gifts of the gifts of service and helps and administration and other things, we do not exist. All right? I, you know, I don't know. I, I'm going to embarrass people this morning a little bit. I think about Michael Jordine, who is in our warehouse over here every single week. Stocking shelves, putting food away, listening to every sad story that walks through the door, being gracious and saying over and over and over again, no, you can't have five servings of meat. You can only have three. Without that, we don't exist. Without my wife, who's in children's ministry three and four and five weeks in a row, missing worship so that she can care for the kids, we don't exist. Without a lot of people who do unseen things around here, we don't exist. And the parts that we think are less honorable, we treat with special honor. Can I be honest? You have no choice. Uh, <laughs> I don't see that a lot in the church today. I see honor given to those who have visible ministries, to those who have big ministries, to those who have titles attached to their name. That's what I see. I see honor given to... Uh, the, the, you know, the, the, the important people. I see, you know, special parking spots with name placards in the front row for the pastors of the church. How about a parking spot for the gal who's been in the nursery every month for the last 10 years taking care of babies and changing diapers? Why doesn't she have a parking spot in the front with a name on it? I'm just saying. Paul says those things that we might naturally see as being less important those are the things that should get special honor. And, you know, I love the tenderness of this, too. The parts that are unpresentable we treat with special modesty. Do you know, you, you realize he's not talking about our finances. He's talking about people in our midst that are broken and tired and weak and ashamed, people who have been run over by a Mack truck called life, people who need to be honored and, and treated with care and tenderness and love back to life again. That's what he's talking about there. We treat them with special modesty. God has put the body together, giving greater honor to the parts that lacked it, so that there'd be no division in the body. Greater honor to the parts that lacked it, so there'd be no division in the body. Its parts should have equal concern for each other. One part suffers, every part suffers. One part is honored, every part rejoices. You are the body of Christ, every one of you. So no division. No division. Greater honor to the weak. Equal concern for every part. One suffers, all suffer. One is honored, all rejoice. That is the picture of the use of the gifts of the Holy Spirit that is painted in 1 Corinthians. The gifts are given by God to whoever he wants. They're not rewards. They're not badges of honor. They're not signs of maturity. Their purpose is to connect us bring unity in the body. They're for the common good, for the benefit of everybody, not a few. Okay, let's see. 